you'll know that in that chapter we have an incredible picture of faith and courage. Just flip back to that 18th chapter for a moment and look at verse 2. So Elijah went to appear before Ahab. Now you can see from verse 10 that Ahab has literally been searching the earth for Elijah, obviously with the intention of destroying him. But a bit like Osama bin Laden, uh, Elijah keeps one step ahead of King Ahab. But now in obedience to God, Elisha goes looking for Ahab. A bit like bin Laden heading for Washington to seek an interview with George Bush. Well, when the contest begins on Mount Carmel between the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah and this one single prophet of God, Elijah, Elijah seems to almost relish the totally uneven contest. He really seems to burn his bridges in verse 27 when he mocks the prophets as they're going about their work and they're getting no action from their gods. When I read verse 27, I think, Elijah, if this doesn't work, you are in big trouble. And then when the time comes for Elijah to call on God and send fire to consume his sacrifice, he doesn't just do the simple thing. First, he digs a trench around the altar. Then he pours 12 large jars of water over the sacrifice. And it's only when the sacrifice is saturated and water is filling the trench that Elijah calls on God. That's Elijah in 1 Kings 18. A man of almost reckless faith and courage. What an absolute contrast we find in chapter 19. The man who stood alone in public facing 850 prophets is sent running by one woman. Admittedly, of course, it's a woman whose name has gone down in history as depicting evil. So how did this happen? Let's look first at the great reversal. The great reversal in Elijah's life seen in that transition from chapter 18 to chapter 19. How did it happen? Well, a number of things become clear. First of all, it seems to me that at Mount Carmel, Elijah thought he'd won the war, when in fact, he'd only won a battle. Now, you might think I'm a bit of a dinosaur, but I believe in Satan. And I actually believe what the Bible says about Satan. The Bible says the chief characteristic of the enemy of every follower of God, both in Elijah's day and in my day and your day, a chief characteristic of our enemy is deception, deviousness, trickery. The Bible describes Satan as the father of lies and his trickery catches out Elijah and it's caught out many sins. In the moment of his victory, Elijah hits rock bottom defeat. You'll recall that it was 17 years after constant victory at the head of the armies of Israel that David slipped into adultery and murder. 17 years of constant victory, he slips into abject failure. 
There's a quite remarkable example of this danger recorded in Matthew 16. Jesus throws out a question to his disciples. Who do people say the Son of Man is? And a number of suggestions are given. And then Peter responds with absolute clarity. You are the Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. And Jesus immediately commends Peter. You're blessed, Simon. My Father revealed that to you. You didn't learn that from any human being. Must have been a great moment for Peter. But in the very next paragraph of your Bible, Jesus is talking about his imminent death and Peter reprimands him. Heaven forbid, Lord. This will never happen to you. At that moment, Peter becomes an instrument of Satan in the life of Jesus. Jesus, true to character, calls it as it is. Get away from me. Satan. You're a dangerous trap to me. You're seeing things now merely from a human point of view and not from God's. Great moments, wonderful times of spiritual blessing can become tragic moments of defeat so easily. And that's because we're contending with a foe who is devious and deceptive. I guess one of the great lessons of this passage is enjoy those great moments that come to us in our Christian lives. Moments of victory. Moments when prayer seems such a wonderful task. Enjoy those moments to the full. But at the same time, exercise caution. Realize the deviousness of the enemy. I think you can see one of the common ways our enemy brings people down at such times of victory. In his moment of victory, quite clearly, Elijah takes his eyes off God. If you study chapter 18 when you get home, you'll see that in the heat of the contest on Mount Carmel, Elijah is utterly reliant on God. He knows that without God's direct intervention on his behalf, He's a dead man. It's very different here in chapter 19. The shock of Jezebel's reaction, I think, does something to Elijah. No doubt he'd expected that the absolute victory that he'd seen on Mount Carmel would convince this woman. But there's no sign of that whatsoever. Look at Jezebel's reaction to the defeat of the prophets. Chapter 19 and verse 2. May the gods also kill me if by this time tomorrow I fail to take your life like those whom you killed. It's incredible how utterly impervious to the evidence some people can be. I believe Elijah was totally shocked by Jezebel's reaction. And in his shock, to use the words of one commentator, he fails to think theologically. And for the first time he's reacting to circumstances. He's not responding to God. He's reacting to circumstances. He moves south in fear to Beersheba, the very south of the promised land, beyond the borders of Israel and the southern border of Judah. Look at verse 9. The Lord said to him, 